As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run, Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And this week, I am not joined by my good friend Doug Glanville because Doug is off. Uh, And as much as we miss him, we're in good hands because sitting in, uh, for most of this show at least, is the one, the only, Ken Rosenthal. Kenny, welcome back to Starkville, my friend. Jason, it is a pleasure to be here. Always great to drive down I-95, see the Starkville exit, and just kind of pull off and spend a little time. <laughs> right. Look, Ken, I know Doug has been promising you all sorts of stuff in your <laughs> many previous visits, statues, keys to the city, free pie at the Starkville Diner. Just curious, has he delivered on any of that? He has not delivered, but I'm good. It's okay. <laughs> I will just visit Starkville and enjoy the various aspects of the town and go about my business. You know, I expected you'd say that. I, I, I'm sorry. Doug's been blaming supply <laughs> chain issues. I, I'm just starting to get a little suspicious. None, none, he hasn't come through with any of this stuff, but whatever. <laughs> uh, hey, Ken, you, you might have heard that Shohei Otani, who was in the news last week. Uh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I thought you might have gotten wind of that. So we'll talk about him shortly with his former manager, Joe Madden. But first, I wanted to chat with you a little bit because it's not like you stop by Starkville every week. Um, so first thing, uh, I wrote a piece in the athletic last week about robot umps. Um, all right. They're not really robots. We don't have little robot (laughs) men in blue suits standing behind the catcher, but it is about using technology to call balls and strikes. And when this season started, man, I honestly thought we would see robo umps in the big leagues by the start of next year, 2024. Um, but as I wrote 
I'm now hearing that's very unlikely. And the reason has to do with the experimenting that they've done throughout AAA this year. Um, so the good news is, I think we now know the technology has advanced to a point where, at least technologically, we're very close to a point where you could do this and get pretty much every call right by the rulebook strike zone or whatever strike zone is programmed into the computers. But here's the bad news, okay? In AAA, they've done this experiment where they played half the games with robo-umps calling every pitch, but the other half of the games just using a challenge system. And here's what they found. This is what I found too. Basically nobody, I mean, pitchers, hitters, managers, coaches, nobody wants to live in the world where a computer is calling every pitch. They do like the challenge system, but they do not want to live on planet robot 24 seven. So let's just start big picture. Now that we've recapped, Ken, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. First of all, Jason, and allow me to blow your horn a little bit. That story was tremendous. And nobody writes those stories like you do. And that one I don't want to say it was particularly enlightening because they're all enlightening, but that one was very enlightening. And what I took out of it was refreshing that it has to be a challenge system, that all robo all the time is not going to work. And I love the idea of the challenge system for a couple of reasons, not simply because it includes home plate umpires still as part of the game, which I believe they should be, but also it introduces an element of strategy. Just as the replay system introduces strategy, you have to use your challenges judiciously. So that part of it was really appealing to me. And the other part that I took out of the story, there was so much, but this really jumped out at me. The idea that when you have a pitcher, let's use Greg Maddox as an example, who's around the zone. And an umpire is familiar with Greg Maddox's work. He's working a game and... Maybe Greg Maddox gets a call an inch off the plate because he's Greg Maddox. And even the players, the hitters that you spoke to, I believe, said that's the way they want the game to be. They want that human element. If a guy is around the plate, he should be rewarded as opposed to a guy who's all over the place who shouldn't be rewarded. So put all that together and the various other issues you raised in the story with the idea of all cha- uh, all robo all the time, it seems to me the challenge system is the way to go. I would welcome that. It also would not lengthen games. Another point you made in the story, if you had all robo all the time, we're, ta- we're taking forever. So it seems to me that we're heading to the right place. And I'm fine if it doesn't happen until 25, 26, 27. I'm actually good with plate umpires. They actually do an amazing job that we don't give them enough credit for. I don't know what the percentage is right now, but it's something like 95%, right? Of the calls that are- per, Over 94% call of all calls. I mean, that's pretty darn good. Now, you don't want to see a game decided by a bad call. We all get that. We don't want to see Angel Hernandez doing his thing. We all get that. But at the same time, we should recognize they're pretty good. All really right, so, good. Uh, I look. I agree with everything you said. Let, let me give you the counterpoint because uh, last time I looked, there were nearly 500 reader comments on this piece in three days. And if you read them, any of them, you'll learn something. These people, fans of baseball, they're not happy. 
uh, they make an excellent point. Um, you know, I had a had a guy write to me kind of off air and said, you know, if if pilots got it right 94% of the time, you'd never got on a plane. Okay. So uh <laughs> if if you have the ability I don't really equate the two, but okay. <laughs> I, I would I would agree that they're not quite the same thing. Um, but here, here's the point. If you have the ability to play a sport where every strike is a strike and every ball is a ball, why would you want to play any other version of that sport? And so this, I had conversations about this. Um, so let me try to explain it. I, I didn't really get into a whole lot of this in, in this story. There's actually... There's another story that needs to be written on it, but here is the thing that they describe, uh, and that is what it's like to play baseball in that version of the sport where it's robo-wump every pitch. See, we, we watch games on TV now where the little strike zone box is on the screen, and you assume that that box gets every call right, okay? So case closed. And that is not what it feels like to these guys when they're playing, they've spent their whole lives playing baseball with a certain feel in their head for what a strike is and what a ball is. And they all describe this. It's not what it feels like with this system. And I, I, I guess an example I would use is, you know, players say breaking balls will often tick the edges of the zone, but they don't look like they're strikes to anyone except the, the robots. And that's especially true, bottom of the zone, catcher catches these pitches two inches off the ground, the, the, and the RoboWum system calls them strikes if they tick the zone. So in other words, I know this is a long answer, sorry. I, in other words, it's like these guys have been dropped into a video game. It's like a real life version of MLB The Show and their brain's comprehension of a strike and a ball don't match the video game version. Uh, even Joey Votto talked about that when he was here in Starkville a couple of shows ago. So, all right, so here's my question. If if that's the case, why should MLB plow ahead with this thing and drop it into the big leagues in 2024, even with a challenge system? Do, doesn't it make sense to take more time to get it right? It does. And this actually hits an area that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. And if I go on a little bit of a tangent here, forgive me. <laughs> no, but, tangent away. <laughs> okay. One of the issues in the sport that you hear from people in the sport, and I'm talking about everyone from general managers on down to players and coaches, managers, people in uniform, people in front offices. They believe, almost to a man, I would say, that – Central Baseball, the Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office, is not sensitive enough to what they experience on an everyday basis. Jason, that's exactly what you're talking about. The feel that a hitter has in the box, which has been honed from the time he was a child, that is something that should not be dismissed. And I understand the importance of technology, the importance of getting it right, certainly. But you do lose something. And we lost it with replay, honestly. Replay was a great idea. The idea was to get every call right. And we've seen some things that get warped. The runner sliding over second base and getting called out because his hand is an inch off the bag. When you apply technology, it doesn't always work as intended. That's what 
we refer to as unintended consequences. And I agree with you that if we're going to go forward here, I'm all good with that. But listen to the players. And not enough listening goes on in this sport, in my opinion. Rob Manfred will tell you I go about around to every team and the people in the commissioner's office. We speak to the GM. No, you talk to them off the record and the paint comes off the walls with how they are received by Major League Baseball. So long story short, there needs to be a sensitivity to what the hitters are saying to you there. And, hey, Joey Votto, of all hitters, and he's quoted in your story, of course, I would say he has a pretty good feel for the strike zone. (laughs) That's kind of his thing. More than anybody else, he should be listened to, among others. Yeah, I I actually think it's it's really encouraging that they are listening. Now, you know, if you listen and you you think long and hard about all the issues that are raised by players' complaints, you know, it, it it creates a whole set of secondary decisions that have to be made about the challenge system. You know, it sounds good to say, well, we'll just get the important calls right, but what are they? <laughs> Is the call in the second inning important when a guy gets rung up with the bases loaded? Or is just the call in the eighth inning or the ninth inning important? Well, that's for the manager and him to decide. That's good stuff. Well, that's Actually, the, you know, that's yeah. that's the advantage of the challenge mm-hmm. system. Um, but you know, I've I've heard from so many people who said they should have seen all this coming. People have to live it. They have to live it and live with it and understand what those unintended consequences are. And so thinking it through for another year, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Um, Right. And Jason, to Major League Baseball's credit in this case, all of these changes that we've seen over the years, they've not simply rammed them down the players' throats. In fact, you could argue that the pitch clock took too long. Manfred was too sensitive to upsetting the players. He wanted to get it done, negotiated just right, rather than use his unilateral rights to implement. With the robo system, yes, they're testing it in the minors. And the reason why your article was so good is because it showed, it unveiled just all the issues that are taking place and arising. And yes, they are listening. I understand that these conversations are taking place, but What I would like to see happen here is not simply going forward without incorporating what these players are saying. And sometimes the sport is guilty of that. Yeah. There'll be another year of experimentation and questions and the competition committee weighing in and um, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. I I would still bet my tickets to see Shohei Otani tonight in Philly that at some point, uh, 2025, we will see a challenge system. I don't know what happens after that, actually. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see full-time robo-umps. Tennis went to challenge system, and now most tournaments, the Hawkeye, which baseball uses, calls every lines call. Uh, I don't know where that's leading. Uh, Until then, enjoy Angel Hernandez's work, everybody, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, speaking of Otani, uh, you wrote a column in The Athletic last week uh, after we learned that Shohei had a tear – in his UCL, in which you said you think he'll still get a contract north of half a billion dollars, despite all the uncertainty about what his pitching future looks like. Um, you know, I'm sure the reaction of many people out there was, what have you been smoking? But yes, tell us why you think he still winds up with the biggest contract in baseball history. 
Well, first to the people who were asking what I was smoking and calling me all sorts of names. It's amazing to me that, and I said this on my own show, I've been doing this not quite as long as you, but a long time. I believe this is my 37th year. It's like my 23rd year as a national writer. And yet I'm the dumbest guy in the room. It's astonishing. (laughs) But here's my rationale. And granted, everything can change if the diagnosis and prognosis is a certain place. We don't know where it's going. My theory was, though, as a hitter alone, he is probably in that range, considering his marketing potential as well. And the reason I say that, he's two years younger than Aaron Judge was as a free agent. He's 29. Judge was 31. Judge gets 360 with an offer north of 400 from the Padres. You throw in Shohei Otani's marketing potential, plus the very real possibility, even if he has a second John Tommy John surgery, that he's going to pitch again. I would expect that's going to happen. I don't know at what level. So you're getting the hitter. You're probably getting some degree of the pitcher too. And he's a guy that captivates fans everywhere. So do I think one owner is going to come up and say, you know what, I want this guy with opt-outs, with all the different incentives that you might put in for $500 million? Yes, I do think that's possible. The history of this game and the history of free agency tells me. When there is this player that everybody wants, it's always better to go high than go low when you're guessing. So I'm going high. And if I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. But that's been said before. And listen, you have an opinion, you could be wrong. And I fully understand that. But it's just my sense of it. Knowing what happened with Judge, knowing the way he is regarded, Otani, within the game. But with all of this said, the qualifier that if this is really bad and who knows what it is, we'll have to maybe adjust. But I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's always been my theory, too. Just throw out any number you want about what you think he'll make. I'll take the over. Yeah. Okay. If Steve Cohen is bidding on him and the Dodgers are bidding on him, I I think there's a good chance the over is in play. And and, even if he can't pitch, if he can hit 50 or 60 homers, that feels like a fairly marketable skill. He's the best hitter in the game right now. Highest OPS, most home runs. This is what you want. Yeah, and there's one more thing, and it's something that people with the Angels have always talked about quietly. He's the greatest international revenue generator that we have ever seen in the history of the sport. And the revenue also comes in handy. (laughs) Okay, so all of that will be a factor in these negotiations, even if there's an intermission until he pitches again. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Ken, I know who we should ask about this guy. How about a man who used to manage him? That seems like a good plan, right? So let's welcome back the former manager of the Angels. Cubs and Rays and friend of the show, Joe Madden. Hey, Joe, thanks for making another trip to Starkville. Yeah, with uh, you there, Jason, and of course, Ken uh, chiming in. I'm, we're going to miss Doug, but nevertheless, I'm always here for you guys. I love your show. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's always wonderful to visit with you guys. Well, we, we appreciate you doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, before we uh, dive deep into Shohei, mm-hmm. t- tell us what this year has been like for you it, it's got to be like your first year with that baseball since you're what three <laughs> something Almost, like that uh, yeah I mean the, the year that I wasn't really an organized ball was 1980 um, after the 79 I uh, played some uh, independent ball in the Cal League in 79 did some of that stuff went back to Hazleton in Hazleton uh, worked in a home for juvenile delinquents and really was not involved in the game and then uh, went back to uh, Boulder, Colorado, got re-engaged, signed with the Angels in 1981, and I started the coaching and everything else in 1981. It's wonderful. The Pennsylvania summers are hard to beat, as you know. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm having, I'm really, I'm having a wonderful time. I don't even know that a summer has gone by more quickly than this one. Like normally during the season, it gathers momentum. But I'm, I'm having a blast uh, playing a lot of golf, uh, taking care of you know my mom's right up the hill um, in a sister living home and. All my buds are here and my sister. So it's, it's really been a lot of fun. Great. All right. What's your greatest round of golf or your greatest golf moment of 2023? Well, I had a 36 on the front yesterday, which is like one nice. over par, but stunk on the back. A couple of double bogeys always make bring you back to earth. I think I've shot like <laughs> a 77, a 78 a couple of times this summer. I'm getting better, but I, you know, you think you got this game? You think you got this, this backswing thing down? Then the next day you find out you don't. And you're out there cussing, throwing stuff, being like an idiot. And then you put it also, but it also taught is teaching me again when you're when you work with your players from one day to the next. Why sometimes uh, were they listening to me? Do they not retain things? Uh, you think that about your guys. Now I know what it feels like. So I'm going to be even more patient, coach, if I ever do this again. So wait, you've thrown stuff. Ah, uh, not really. Like a rake, maybe. <laughs> but it's always the rake's fault. That's exactly. Yeah, of course right. it is. It's never. But no, no, it is my fault. I'm the first one. I my line is I hate me after a bad shot. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. All right, let, let, let's talk about Shohei Otani. Uh, Joe, there's been a lot of talk in the last week about what his torn ligament means for the Angels and for his next contract. I, I want to ask you about the emotional side of having this happen because I, I'll admit this. I was sad uh, just over losing the chance <clears throat> to watch this guy do both things that he does and chase a season that no living human has ever witnessed. Is, is that an emotion you felt at all? Yeah, I did feel bad for him. Uh, and, and of course the angels too, but yeah, I know how much effort he puts into this. I know how much, how badly he wants to do all this. He doesn't, he came here to the United States to, to be a pitcher and a hitter simultaneously. Um, first, because he can. Number two, because he really knows it impacts the game in a positive way for his team. We would talk about that where 
uh, before he was really able to do both. Uh, when the, and then once the rules changed, or once we started using him as a um, as the ninth player in the lineup, and just when National League rules, he knows that he can impact the game offensively. So, and it's not just about him getting wins; it's because he knows that <clears throat> the team has a better chance of winning if he's hitting too. Really, I, I got him as a selfless guy. I, I know I don't even know what it appears like to everybody else because I'm really close to it or was really close to it. Um, so yeah, uh, the baseball industry is suffering right now from all of this. I mean, he's been the, the best story of the year by far. And um, I'm, uh, we're all hoping that this all works out properly and well. But yeah, it's an emotional moment. <clears throat> Joe, we talk about Shohei and go back to the first Tommy John. And there's been a lot of talk, what's going to happen now? We don't know yet if he needs right. a second Tommy John or revision, if he'll simply rehabilitate, what it's going to be. But one thing I had forgotten, and someone reminded me of this last night, that rehab from the first Tommy John did not exactly go smoothly. And I was wondering if you can recall <laughs> 2020, when he came back yeah. after missing, I don't know, 18 plus months, mm-hmm. what happened? Well, yeah, I mean, that was my first real eyeballs on him, right? And it was not good. I mean, he was not throwing the ball well at all. He would play catch, and I would watch it, and i think, man, the ball, his arm stroke looked off, and it just, the ball wasn't coming out easily. We did some sim games on the field, of course, to get ready, and like he was bouncing a lot of pitches and um, just really didn't have any command velocity. wasn't where you thought it could be. So that's my first eyeballs on him. Like, of course, I believed everybody, everybody had said about him, but when I first saw it, uh, it wasn't good. I mean, I was not, would not have played. You would not be seeing these kind of numbers based on the stuff that I saw at that particular juncture. And that's not to say it's not going to come out differently this time because he has experience with it. And plus, he has confidence with it. I mean, the fact that he's going to go through this surgery, come back, and he knows how dominant he was now. He was he had pitched well before that, but not to the level that he's doing right now. So I, I want to believe the experience is going to help him. But when I first saw him, um, I was concerned, quite frankly, because really it was a lot of balls in the dirt. Velocity wasn't there. And the arm stroke I thought was off. I thought uh, he was compensating when I saw him throw. Yeah, you know, it's easy to look back and second guess stuff. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was on TV last week. One of our topics was to have a little debate. Uh, he was in the middle of his missed start downtime uh, because of yeah. arm fatigue at the time. And, you know, I got to thinking that in uh, in, in some ways, it, it's amazing to me that he didn't take more breaks like that during every season. You know, like, do we mm-hmm. do we take for granted how hard it is to be an elite starting pitcher in the major leagues. Last I checked, that's a full-time job for literally everyone else who meets that description. And this is a guy, he's got over 560 plate appearances as a hitter, plus this side gig, you know, where he's an A starter. It feels like people take that for granted that he's supposed to make every start. And I never have. So you managed him. Do you appreciate what I'm talking about? And was there ever conversation about whether as he went through a season, he needed some occasional breaks? Well, just go back, first of all, to like, like you said, it became kind of old hat and people just started taking (laughs) it for granted. But even to get it to happen in spring training um, in 2021, that was a big deal. I mean, that was Perry and I sitting with him in a room. Um, and we were uh, Perry and I were both on the same page regarding how to do this. That he needs an opportunity. He needs to 
be set free kind of. And so we did. And the rules were there are no rules except that you need to communicate with us and they need to be able to trust you uh, regarding when you needed a day off. That was that was the that not a rule. That was the uh, communication. Right. So we went through that season and I and I don't even know for sure. I, I know uh, I'm pretty certain I gave him a couple of days off. But the first conversation with him was about his legs. He, he told us or told me that when he felt fatigue in his legs, that's when he would want some a day off. That, that was the original conversation. So believe me, every day there was a check-in. Every day, night, okay, we just played, game over, uh, on the way out, text or talk to him and he pay, find out what do you want to do tomorrow? How are you feeling? And we would go through that. So, But there was one or two times I just thought, ah, this looks a little bit, he was, he was just like grinding a little bit too hard. Let's back him off right here. And it requires a conversation with him because this guy, again, wants to post every day because he believes when he posts that the team has a better chance of winning. So, um, yeah, we, we always try to be proactive. I like, I mentioned on another broadcast that I like the idea of taking advantage of days off, meaning that give him a day off before the day off or the day off after the day off, all of a sudden he gets two days off. That's almost like going to Bermuda for a, for a week. You know, that's, you just feel completely better and different at that point. So those are the kind of things that I had in mind for him. Um, again, I was out of there pretty quickly last year. So I never got to the point where I thought he was at that point where he needed these kind of breaks. It was way too early in the year uh, before uh, I thought it'd be necessary for him to maybe do that uh, two-day vacation. But yeah, it's I, I'm certain when he comes back, you're going to see that built in more often. And I think you're going to have uh, a man, a player that's going to be more willing to listen. Final point, though, he did not get hurt because of that. He got hurt because everybody throwing 100 miles an hour these days get hurt. You know, the, the, it's just arms cannot handle that stuff. It was just a matter of time, probably, till it happened again. So um, uh, I, that's why I look at it. I don't look at it as the fact that he's been doing both things that, that that happened. I look at it because he throws so hard, eventually something like that may happen. And I think it just did. Joe, obviously everyone wants to see him pitch and hit again. Do both. We don't know if that's going to be possible. We don't know how long, even if he comes back, that will be possible mm-hmm. for. But his mindset is fascinating to me. And you've touched on this. A couple of years ago, it was 21. I spoke with your hitting coach at the time, Jeremy Reed. And Jeremy made the point, this guy is better when he does both. And I wonder just how you saw that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I, I, I think he's right. Uh, Jeremy and I had talked about that. Um, it splits it a little bit. It takes kind of takes pressure off the other one, you know, because he could always, if he doesn't have a good day at on the mound, he could have a good day at the plate and vice versa. And he has these two different methods of impacting the game. Um, I've often thought about that. I mean, I, this is not a good comparison. Maybe when it was raising BJ up, then they come to the big leagues. I like the idea of him playing multiple positions because I thought that took the focus off of his hitting and that he would hit better because he had to worry about putting on a different glove two or three different gloves in BP or infield practice before he actually played in the game. So I think dividing your your method like that for a guy that could handle it, I think it does serve to help the other because I have different ways. If one's not feeling good today, the other one is, man, I still have a chance to impact this game in a, in a, in a really positive manner. Um, knowing him, he thinks it all the way through like that. Guy's pretty deep. I mean, he's a baseball player, but when it comes to the game, his baseball IQ top. 10 maybe that I met, top five that I've ever met. Um, where he had come from in Japan, I've never seen there. I don't know how he was raised there, but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, they went over the fundamentals, uh, and the guy sees it. He sees everything. He notices stuff in the dugout. So 
It's a long-winded answer, but I think that he needs multiple things to do in order to, to uh, satisfy this, this curiosity and interest he has for the game and probably is like a pressure relief valve for him at the same time. Uh, okay, let, let's ask it this way. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever have questions about his physical limits as a two-way player? Um, how long he could continue to do what he does at this insane level of brilliance that he does it? Um, I, I, again, I wasn't there long enough to really, I don't think, pose that question to myself. I mean, just watching it, um, yeah, it looked like he'd do it forever. But I also thought if, if he lost one, that he was really good at the other, that he still becomes a really good baseball player. Maybe not, obviously, uh, the modern-day Babe Ruth kind of a thing, but still would be very good. Like, as a, if he's unable to pitch, this guy could play the outfield. I mean, he could, he could play. I would put him in the outfield. He could really run him down. I watched him in uh, batting practice. And again, if there's any nuance to be learned, he will learn it. He doesn't even need a coach to go out there and describe anything to him. He sees things. So if the if the arm is limited in regards to pitching, I think a team could actually consider putting him in the outfield. I think he would do it. I, I think he would do it because I think it would occupy him in a way that he's just not sitting on the bench as a DH all the time. So that's still, I think, a possibility if you really want to go there. Um, so, yeah, he's, um, he's a different cut, a different animal. But I never – I was there. I was with him 2020. Uh, you know, it's limited. And then 2021, pretty spectacular. And then last year cut off pretty abruptly. And so I didn't really get to the point where I really felt those kind of questions popping up in my mind. You know, one thing that fans are wondering about right now, we're all wondering about, is why hasn't he made a decision to either have a second Tommy John or to rehab it in some other way? And I was wondering if you can take us through his thought process, his deliberate manner in why this might be taking as long as it is. Well, I've, I'm, I was, I've been curious about that myself. I mean, normally he should just get cut on, like right now, you know, because that, that uh, unless the Angels were like right there, then yeah, of course, you just stay there as a DH, you help them get to the playoffs in the series, et cetera. But if your team's not there, to me, and his best interest would be just to do it right now, if in fact surgery is needed. Most of the time, I don't even need have to get the percentages, but it seems when guys delay that and try to rehab it, it ends up in surgery anyway. So, I mean, just counting the months I was talking, I played with a, uh, Brian McCann, a former trainer here, and talking about the rehab. If he got cut on right now, he probably could hit pretty much at the beginning of next season, more than likely. So he's going to have another full year of offense. The pitching will not come around till the next year. That's that's just the way it's going to be. That's just biology. So um, if you delay it, delay it, the hitting is going to occur later next year, and then the pitching still going to wait to the following season. So um, I don't know the answer to this. I, the only thing that would be make sense to me is that offensively, uh, trying to put up some numbers uh, for himself. I mean, that's really what it's all about. I mean, at this point, because um, again, is my primary primary focus normally is the Angels win. But right now, obviously, even if they win, it's still going to be very difficult to catch anybody. So it's got to be more uh, individually motivated. Maybe uh, from the um, from his representation. Maybe again, uh, looking at a way to. Uh, even present him even better at the end of the season. That would be the only thing I could possibly think of right now. You know, Joe, you, you touched on mm-hmm. the communication challenges mm-hmm. and they come up all the time. Uh, there mm-hmm. are questions about the angels not sending him for more extensive mm-hmm. testing. I guess an MRI, right. When he first started to have some issues, mm-hmm. uh, Perry said over the weekend, uh, they asked him to go get an MRI. He didn't want to, he didn't think it was necessary. 
curious how you went about communicating with him about stuff like this. Well, first of all, I never, I, honestly, I was never confronted with something like this. Um, True. You know, I, I wasn't like with the, it's normal procedure that you would, um, you know, if you're running an organization, if you're, you know, your, your guy gets hurt and then you talk to the trainers and the doctors and they recommend something, course of action. And normally the course of action recommended occurs. Now with the, uh, I've been around GMs that they don't want to put somebody in a tube because they're going to find something wrong. You know, I just, I just went to the tube the other day because I got a little pain in like a sciatic problem. So they found other things wrong, right? They're going to find things. So <clears throat> GMs, uh, I don't think really necessarily like the MRI uh, as much as um, people might think they do. So uh, Shohei, again, um, I'm, my, my opinion would be that he thinks or feels like he knows himself. I know what's going on here. I know it's just fatigue, whatever this cramping, dehydration, whatever, it, whatever he thought it was. And I, I would almost bet that he uh, can, um, communicated with somebody that possibly gave him those kind of options or thoughts. So anyway, at the end of the day, man, it's normally if something like that occurs in all my experience that um, if the re MR is required, the MRI happens. Mm -hmm. you, you, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's kind of a man of mystery to the mm -hmm. outside world. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know what he's thinking yeah. because he's so careful, I guess, about letting us know what he's thinking. He, mm -hmm. he, he very rarely talks to people in our <laughs> line of work. Uh, he's very cautious even when he does. How different was he with you? He was kind of playful. I mean, um, he's, um, he's a fun guy. Uh, he's a fun guy with his teammates, uh, kind of guy that jokes around a lot, uh, like a lot of slapstick kind of things. And uh, he's a joy. He's a job. So a joy to be around. Um, and again, uh, I think it's like a lot of guys that don't speak the language extremely well, <clears throat> more reticent to try to express themselves. Uh, they're always concerned about something being lost in a translation, even though Ipe is there to protect him. Uh, I still think that um, I'm just trying to think of myself. I mean, I, and, and as some of the Spanish Hispanic players that I've had, when they don't speak English well, they are more reticent to do, be more open. It's hard to be open if you don't really understand the nuance of a language and a culture. I think I think I got to give him the benefit of the doubt right there. So um, that's been my experience. So with guys like him, I got his, like you, Darvish, you came in my office one time in Chicago, sat down and man, I'm sitting there looking at him and he's very bright and I'm talking with him and I'm thinking to myself, I've never met anybody like this before in this game. I've, you know, with this background where he came from, where his parents came from, uh, the success that he's had, uh, just, just everything about him. I never met anybody like this before. So when you're going to evaluate and work with a Shohei, understand one thing, you've never met anybody like this before. So to try to evaluate it based on how we evaluate a kid from, you know, LSU, Texas, or, or Lafayette, it's, you can't do that because you, you don't know how he was raised. You don't know what it's like to be raised like that. So I'm very careful. I'm very careful. And I really try to be very slow, listen and understand where's this guy coming from and see if I could, you know, connect these dots. And Joe, you mentioned, actually, Jason just mentioned that we don't know much about what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. He is, as Jason said, a mystery. So as he gets ready for free agency, what do you think is going to motivate him? Um, uh, honestly, a team that he thinks could win on a consistent basis, a team that he thinks uh, will be playing the proverbial term, meaningful games, not only in September, but October. I think that's, that's where he's going to be uh, directed. I think 
when he first came here. Um, he was constrained kind of mentally attached to the West Coast because of that, the, the, the proximity to Japan. Uh, and I think just the population wise that he could be, see and be with people he's familiar with and maybe even cuisine, culturally, all that stuff was more uh, prominent here for him. However, I think now that he's been through it all, that he's he is who he is right now in the States, that he's been a starting pitcher and hitter, first hitter in an all-star game, and he's done well in every city from coast to coast. Um, I think he'll he knows where he likes, cities that he likes. He knows where he's comfortable right now. Back then, he did have no idea about that. He's been on the tour. So now he's being recruited. He's going to go through a recruiting situation now where I think he's going to be more open-minded to different cities and opportunities. It's going to be based on, like I said, you got to, you got to have a chance to play every October. I got to like this place. I got to feel safe in this place. Culturally, I got to feel comfortable with um, how I could uh, coexist here. Uh, you know, how is it, how is it to move around? Is it seamless? Is it difficult? Um, I think those are going to be, and then, and then, that, and of course money, but regardless about the money, that's going to be pretty similar uh, with all these different teams jumping out there. You're going to find out immediately how they perceive the possibly inability to pitch next year. So all this stuff's going to be obvious and that's going to be similar. But the other things I think are, are more um, nimble than it had been his first time around. All right. Since you raised mm -hmm. money, <laughs> if, <laughs> if we put you in charge mm -hmm. of some team's front office, you had mm -hmm. as much money to spend as you wanted. What mm -hmm. kind of contract would you give him, given the uncertainty about how much he will be able to pitch moving forward? Um, well, I mean, first, I mean, okay, just let's start with, uh, just to say he was well. You got to pay him like two players, like the two highest paid players in the game, times two. And then you then you give that to him. That would be the, so what is that, 400,000? Is that, what are the two highest, what is it, uh, 50? Mike Trout has what's the an average annual ever, okay. right? It's 80 million a year. There you go. 80 million a year. Yeah. Okay, that's possible then. Uh, that would actually yeah. be possible because he is too. He's he's MVP MVP caliber and Cyan caliber annually. But would you pay an MVP guy? What would you pay a Cyan guy? A and B. That's that's you, you got to be somewhere in that vicinity. Now with the injury, that's going to be up to the medical departments to realize or figure out how much we're going to deduct off this. And I also believe that you may see more of an incentive laden incentive laden contract. That if this comes out well and you're able to do this, then of course this number jumps. And if you're not, we may have to settle on something else. And I, I, I could see that being an industry-wide kind of a tact. Uh, but although there might be an outlier that says, "Heck with that!" You All know, it takes is got, one, Joe. That's right. We have we have we have one outlier here that's going to say, "You know what? We have confidence in the doctors. We've seen it happen before. Look at Justin Berlander. Look at others. It, it kind of works, and we know your work ethic." Um, so I think that's going to be the consideration. So two times, like the the top position player, A, top uh, pitcher, B, add that up, and that's what he should get annually. Wow. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see what <laughs> and where this goes. <laughs> Joe, I mean, going then you forward. Have to, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kenny. Going forward, mm -hmm. as a player ages, obviously he's not the mm -hmm. same player. We know this. Mm -hmm. But – Shohei Otani has a unique training regimen, a unique off-field regimen. He mm -hmm. takes care of himself probably like few others. I don't know for sure. You would know better. Yep. So how do you see him aging? Remove this health question from it, just aging in general. Well, I mean, um, the first thing I would look at is speed, his legs, you know, because he's such a, a force on the bases. But then again, um, 
as long as he can hit and hit with authority, I think the the speed factor will be not as important down the road. So that would be the first thing I would see him aging would be speed wise. That obviously I don't think, I think his hitting's actually gotten better because he looks like he's more willing to use the opposite field, which is something I try to get him to do. Even in 2020, to have a, I had a thing with him. If he hit the rocks, he'd come in afterwards, we'd have a little celebration. He <laughs> went to left center because the more he hits the ball to left center, the more dangerous he's going to become. And I think I'm seeing that. So hitting wise, power wise, he's going to age really well with that. I think that's not going to be diminished. The only thing I'd be concerned about a little bit was with the speed, but uh, not to the point that it's going to be disastrous. Uh, from a pitching perspective, even if even if he lost some velocity, the guy can pitch. He's so creative, and he's so able to do other things. Um, as long as he can maintain like a 94, 95 velocity, somewhere in that range, with his ability to spin the ball and his split, uh, these other things that he can do, he can still be a dynamic pitcher, I believe. Um, so, of course, the uh, mother uh, time is good is going to eventually erode some of these skills. He's what, 29 right now? Yes. I'd say like, you know, like 35-ish, you might see something <laughs> go away, but I don't think between now and 35-ish. Oh, so that, that, that just leads to the big <laughs> global question. Um, and look, we're all people who love baseball. We, we, we've spent so many years working in baseball. We've spent our lives thinking a lot about what the greatest players in this sport we're capable of and whatever we ever thought, whatever we ever imagined, Shohei Otani was showing us we were wrong. Okay. That even more was possible. I've been thinking a lot about this in the last week. Um, is it still possible? Is it still possible for him or for somebody else? Both. Oh, I think it's so possible for him. I mean, the, 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 the this guy's mentally as tough as anybody ever going to meet. And that's where it starts. He is so mentally tough. Um, and the way he handles the day, I've compared him to um, Cal Ripken, okay? And, and why? We've talked about this, I think. Um, for me, when I watch Cal, I'm a young coach coming up, and I'm watching him take his ground balls in infield, <clears throat> batting practice. And then I'd see him in between innings. And then I would, the fact that he just played every day. This guy has a joy for the day, has a joy for the game. It's a game to them. Cal, it was a game every day because when he, when the ground ball hit to him in, in BP, he tried to throw it back to the fungo hitter within the circle that the infield uh, the hitter was hitting from. Again, when he went out to his position, it was either Billy would cover him, whoever the second baseman was, or maybe Jeff Mano, they would cover him, and then Palmer would have to hit him with a pass, always playing a game. <laughs> and then he always wanted to call the pitches. Cal called pitches. Cal called all the pitches for the pitcher. And he had all this little intricate set of signs at shortstop that I would really try to break the code. Sometimes I thought I had him for a little bit, but he'd always change things. He's too smart. Playing a game. Shohei plays a game every day. It's uh, it's not like – it's life and death, but it isn't. He has fun out there. He knows he's the best kid in Little League. He knows that going into it. And so it's a joy that was established whenever as a kid growing up and – um, that to me is the separator. And that's why I think he can do it because of the way he handles the game itself. Look at he's, he's the Beatles. He's Elvis. He's all these things right now. And he handles it with such ease, uh, that I love to watch that. And, um, that's why I think he can do it again. I, I know he can do it again. 
but he's certainly a special guy. And mm-hmm. the only question I have now, Joe, is second mm-hmm. Tommy John. We've seen guys come back from it. Jamison Tyone has others as well. Nathan Evaldi. Mm-hmm. That's the question. And I don't know if you had experience with anybody who has had Tom, Tommy John a second time, but if he needs that surgery, that's what we're all going to be wondering about. Can he pitch again? And mm-hmm. can he pitch again at a high level? Well, you know, I guess, um, I think he can. I mean, if anybody can, he can. I mean, I hate to use that phrase, but um, again, what's the severity of it? I guess we don't know that. Um, I would I would love to hear from the doctor that actually would do it in you know, the comps with something like that. Uh, so I, the answer is nobody knows. But but what I do know is that um, the guy is different, obviously. And um, whatever the workload is to get back, he'll do it. He will do it. He'll leave the ballpark. He'll go to his room. Probably he'll eat something. He'll eat everything properly that night. He'll get up the next morning and do whatever he's supposed to do. He'll go to the ballpark, do whatever he's supposed to do. And then he'll get ready again. So you're going to be rehabbing a guy that's like textbook rehabber. You know, he's going to do exactly what you tell him to do, ask him to do, he's going to do it. And if he's not satisfied, he will research something that may be missing right here. But um, so you have the most dedicated student ever to get back to do what he had been doing before. It's important to him. It's important to him to be all of that, I believe. So, um, yeah, um, going forward, whomever is going to, I want to purchase him is going to have to have all this information going into it. And I think if everybody's satisfied based on history, other things that they've known about two timers with Sami John, the numbers will start reflecting that. And, and again, I still think there's going to be incentive laden where if in fact he comes back properly, it'll be a really, really, really big number. All right. One more from me. I, yes, sir. I was in Cooperstown mm-hmm. last month for induction weekend. Okay. And mm-hmm. hall of famers were bringing up Shohei to me mm-hmm. <laughs> i two of them tell me that i would be shocked how many hall of fame players could have hit and pitched in the big leagues uh i, I don't know whether that's true or not i just know we're not seeing many teams mm-hmm. even now trying to let young players do both and as i was contemplating this idea of should we be shohei gets hurt i i, I wonder if a if you think we should see more teams encouraging players to try it. But two, does this injury, what's happened to Shohei Otani, is that a a window into why teams will always be afraid to dive into that two-way player into the pool? uh, Yes, remind me to answer that part of it. Um, Let me start with with this. Um, I always, uh, this goes back to my minor league stuff. Uh, Early 90s, late 80s, I had a kid by the name of Deshaun Warren, right? thrown like mid nineties. Uh, wasn't very tall, left-hander fastest guy in a camp. We used to time everybody in a 60 yard dash back then. I used to time them in 20 yard bursts. I used to time them on their first step and the first 10 feet off uh, in a steel situation. Fastest kid in camp, Deshaun Warren. So he's that young. When a kid's that young, you can't know for sure that he's going to eventually blossom into this pitcher that you thought that he might be. Guys like that, I think it'd be fun or interesting to experiment with letting them hit in between starts. Let them DH a little bit in between starts. Teach them how to bunt if they're that fast. Do different things with them and see if you can break them in there more slowly to see if, in fact, as you move it along, that eventually by the time it's a double A, maybe pump it up a little bit more, triple A, pump it up a little bit more. But I would start with the young athlete pitcher 
that could really fly uh, and the lower levels. That would be interesting to me um, to just take somebody like these college guys that do it infrequently and play like, you know, two or three times a week for me before. Not so much. I, I would not be so reliant upon that. But you get a guy like in Quad Cities and you play him. He pitches on, let's just say, Sunday, Monday for sure off, Tuesday off, Wednesday, DH him. Let him DH and see how that goes. Don't let him throw. Just DH him, let him run, do the different things that in case he washes out as a pitcher, we've already started to develop this really great athlete that might be able to play the outfield. That part I I, I think is rather interesting. And that would be something that I would be more apt to uh, want to try uh, regarding Shohei being uh, people being scared off. Um, I don't think there's going to be a need to because there's not going to be any other guys out there wanting to do what he does. Uh, that there's not that many candidates. So there's no candidates, as a matter of fact. <laughs> what he does, there are no candidates. So I don't think anybody's going to be scared off. I think the issue would be how do we nurture that if, in fact, we want to try it. And and again, when you get a young guy that's really a great athlete on the lower levels, and I'm saying I would think that this, this tool would be speed. And again, it's speed's coming back in the game. If a guy's a real speed guy as and he's a pitcher and he's a great athlete, I might be I'd like to see that. I'd like to just try him and doing other things, even just taking BP, just do, and then pop him as a DH a couple times and see if there's any anything there. Because if he washes out as a pitcher, which is a strong possibility, now we have a chance to bring him along in another direction. Um, the opposite has already happened. I mean, a guy that's a position player with a great arm that can't hit, eventually you throw him on the mound, and that happens a lot. Uh, Troy Percival. Where I argued with Bob Clear for forever. Bob Lou wanted to do it like tomorrow. And I said, Bob Lou, you got to, you got to respect what the scout saw. We got to give it time. And I can't use Bob Lou's language, but we put him on the mound at uh, Ginotri Park. And uh, Troy wound up. And just like you saw the last out in the World Series, he wound up just like that because Bob Lou said, don't mess with them. Whatever he looks like, leave him alone. So it, it works both ways. Uh, and I just find that fascinating. Um, if you could nurture it, you need to nurture it in the minor. I love the minor leagues. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was less fear uh, about that stuff because he's just made baseball so much more interesting because he's done. Everybody's play. afraid of everything, Jason. Yeah. I mean, my God, they're afraid to pitch anybody six or seven innings. I mean, come on. I You're afraid of throwing 102 pitches. It's it's all built-in stuff. And and why? I mean, it's going to happen. Anyway, if a guy's going to get hurt, there's times, listen, there are, when you, when you push limits, I get it. I don't think Shohei was, I don't think limits were pushed with Shohei. I really don't. I think that was just the uh, biology eventually. I, I, again, I think it's like people are, the, kids are being taught to try to throw the ball as hard as they can right now. They're not being taught how to pitch. They're trying to, they're being taught how to spin the ball at the top of the zone and throw hard into that mattress over there. That's what they're being taught. That's, and that's like a, a classic um, situation where you eventually, of course, it's going to end up with an army. Of course it is. But then you watch Kyle Hendricks pitch and other guys that could really pitch. And there's there's a greater longevity, and that's what we had in the past. Um, again, there's got to be a balance to be struck. But uh, the more you rely on, on, on guys for shorter careers, three, four, maybe five years of a career, and just teach them to throw hard because we're going to find another one of those, I think that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe, baseball is less interesting when you're not a part of it, but you have definitely made Starkville more interesting mm -hmm. just by visiting us. So thank you so much. Uh, see in Hazleton sometime and watch out for those flying rakes. Okay. okay you had a, <laughs> that that, Thanks, that I'm causing. Hey, Kenny, good to see you again. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Anytime, buddy.
It's awesome, man. Thanks. You got it, bud. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. It's that time again. It's time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Ken Rosenthal has a busy day ahead of him. So I have spared him the excitement of this segment. And that means I'm going to do something I've never done in the history of Starkville. I am going to tackle trivia all by myself. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, Luckily, Doug's not here to answer that. So let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. Uh, He is making his Starkville debut. It is CJ Holman. CJ, welcome to Starkville. It is great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jason. So CJ, it's your first time here. So tell us where you're from. Uh, what team you root for, and how you stumbled into the Starkville city limits. Well, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, so obviously Philly's all the way, and so been a fan of your writing since as long as I could read about baseball, so that's how I how I've stumbled into into this universe. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that, and if you read me, you're, you're, you're bound to be stumbling somewhere along the line. So it's, it's awesome to to have you here. So since I don't have Doug with me this week, it's all on me. So why don't you hit me with your trivia question? All right, here goes. There are five players in Major League Baseball history to have recorded at least 250 home runs, 
2,400 hits and 400 steals in their career. One of them is obviously Barry Bonds. Who are the other four? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I have a question back. Are you familiar with the Glanville line? No. <laughs> okay, Doug has decreed that we should not be required to give any more than three answers to any question. So we have to debate, should that apply now if he's not here? I could probably make a case that it should apply more because it's just me. So CJ, what do you think? Would it be acceptable if I just give you three of these four or is that cheating? Uh, I'll accept, I'll accept three of the four. All right. Tremendous. Um, Okay. (laughs) One more thing you should know about uh, this is a little offshoot of the Glanville line. Um, Doug has a nefarious cheating scheme, uh, which he's been employing. He's now calling it operation multiple choice. Uh, And that means I would get to give you four answers here, but I only need to get three of them right. Where where would you stand on that one? <laughs> um, since there are four, um, I'll 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 give you that one. If you give me four answers and you get three of them right, I'll give you the credit. Uh, wow. Okay. So I, given all that, I th- actually think I have a shot at this. Uh, another reason is, uh, you know, I was doing some Jose Altuve research last week when he um, he got two thousand hits. So. Uh, it, it led me down a, a, a research path that was similar to this, not exactly the same thing, but I, I think there are some similar players on both lists. So it, it gives me a, a little working knowledge. Um, I need 400 steals, <clears throat> 250 homers. <laughs> so I need 400 steals, 250 homers, 2,400 hits. Yeah. Um, I feel like Willie Mays has to be one of these. Um, Paul Molitor, I'm almost sure, is one. Now, he would be the stumper if I hadn't just been looking into his career. And Rogers Hornsby, I think, is one. Although, I have to admit, I'm not 100% sure. He hit 250 homers, pretty sure. Uh, So then that would leave me with one more. And I, I think from all my Hall of Fame research last winner uh that Carlos Beltran would be that guy uh he'd be the leader in this clubhouse but I I did jot down some other names uh Andre Dawson is in there Tim Raines uh Barry Larkin I think came up um Steve Finley he's in the 300-300 club so he's answered a lot of these questions I'm pretty sure he's short of 2400 hits and then that Mike Trout guy is really close. Uh, he doesn't have 2,400 hits yet. So if I had to do four, like I'm not, sh- I'm not totally confident about going four for four, but I do think I have a shot. So CJ, I'm just going to run these out there. Any chance it's Willie Mays, Rogers Hornsby, Paul Molitor, and Carlos Beltran, or at least three of those four. Uh, no, that's going to be an 0 for 4. Wait, I went 0 for 4? Yes, no, did. no way. Really? Oh my God. All right. So I've, got the them all, I've got them all pulled up in front of me on my almost list that you would probably guess. Um, the answer is Craig Biggio. Right. Ricky Henderson. Right. Joe Morgan. And the reason I know this is I was looking it up to make his Hall of Fame case. 
Bobby Abreu. <laughs> so I went over four. How, how close were the other guys? Um, Willie Mays, 339 steals. So Steve Finley, close. 320. Dawson, 314. Beltron, 312. Hornsby was way low on steals. And Molitor just missed it on home runs. Hornsby was low on homers, right? Steals. He had 100 and... Unless I looked that up wrong, but I think... (laughs) Okay. Yeah, he he only had 135 steals. That's amazing. Okay, so I I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) Can I just blame Glanville or even Ken for abandoning me? (laughs) I think think so. I I think you can... I think you can blame Glanville since he might have gotten uh, his teammate, Bobby Abreu. <laughs> he probably would have, right? Okay. All right. Just let just as long as you're good with me blaming everyone but myself for getting this wrong, I feel better. I went 0 for 4. Wow. Uh, all right. But whether Glanville is in town or not, one thing never changes. Uh, this segment's about to get way more entertaining now that we have the actual trivia Q&A routine out of the way. And that's because it is time to bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another fantastic play-by-play clip involving none of the people that I just guessed, but actually involving somebody who was in this week's answer. Tim, what do you got for us this week? Uh, So only one of those four players got to 3,000 hits. So we're going to go with that one. That was Craig Biggio. So let's go back. Actually, Bobby Abreu, though, I almost almost used his 400 stolen base, by the way. (laughs) But the call was not as good as I had hoped. So we're going with Craig Biggio. Here it is. Hit number 3,000. Line drive, right center field. That's number 3,000. And he drives in a run. And he's going for second. Tavares with the throw. He's out, but that's 3,000 hits for Craig Vigio. It ties the ball game. He arrived 20 years ago from Smithtown, New York, with Texas-sized dreams. And now, as he's mobbed by his teammates, those dreams have become reality. Kind of had to finesse the part where Craig Vigio was out on his historic hit. <laughs> yeah, that, but you know what? It, he should get credit because... He was really trying to stretch a single into a double. Yeah. So hustling to the end right. later in his career. Yeah, that's that's what he did, right? So, CJ, great, great question. Uh, thanks for joining us in Starkville. Please come back again sometime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Just remember, you too can be part of these trivia segments just like CJ. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Strange but true. Hey, nothing we look forward to more around here than these strange but true segments. And we have another fun one this week with or without our pal Doug Glanville. Um, I don't know if you are aware of this. There is a new epidemic sweeping our land. It's true. It's called Inside the Park-itis. Uh, we, we had a stunning outbreak of Inside the Park homers all of a sudden. Uh, and maybe this will surprise you. Maybe not, but not even the CDC caught on to this before Starkville. So uh, let, let's recap. August 14th, Bobby Witt Jr. started this for the Royals with an inside the park homer. You know, that park in Kansas City, always a tremendous spot to go inside the parking. So that's one. Two days after that, Luke Raley 
hit one for the Rays when they were in San Francisco. You know, they have Triple Alley, Triples Alley in Oracle Park. This time it produced more than a triple. So that's two. Four days after Luke Rayleigh, Jorge Mateo of the Orioles made it three inside the Parkers in six days. Uh, he hit his in Oakland. And then the day after that, Bryce Harper stepped to the plate in Philadelphia. For two. Harper out to center field. Neckler going back toward the State Farm side. He's in trouble. It's rolling along the warning track. Harper speeding around second, heading to third. Dusty's going to wave him home with his bottle in center field. Harper's coming home. He'll score sliding. Five, two, Phillies. I think Dusty was sending him anyway. I, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. He was sending him. No hesitation on Dusty's part. And no hesitation on Bryce's part. But again, Neckler gets too close. Okay, there's some hesitation on Tom McCarthy and John Crook's part to call it an inside the parker because there were a couple of bobbles out there in center field, but um, wound up being scored an inside the park homer. And it was hit to almost exactly the same spot as the JT Realmuto inside the park home run last October in the postseason. And so I, I, I looked at this six of the last seven inside the park home runs in Philadelphia ricocheted off that same funky angle to that wall in left center. Uh, Dave Montgomery, the longtime president, chairman uh, of the Phillies, when the park was being designed, he wanted that. They could, inside the park, homers could be in play. That's worked. It was brilliant. But anyway, we haven't even gotten to the strange but true part yet. So four inside the park home runs were hit in one week. That's strange but true enough, right? Here we go. You know how many inside the Parkers had been hit in the sport in the entire season before that? How about one? Okay, it was in April by Yuli Gurriel. So we had three months with no inside the park homers. And then we had four in a week. It's the most baseball thing ever. Um, and so because I need to know these things, you know, I went down the baseball reference rabbit hole last night. I was looking for other outbreaks of inside the park itis. And so it has happened before. Um, we actually had four in a week as recently as 2020. But how about this? This was the best one I found. 1997, we somehow had eight inside the park homers in five days and five of them in two days. And that included a game in Pittsburgh Cubs Pirates, both teams hit one in the same game. Sammy Sosa for the Cubs and Tony Womack for the Pirates. So that was crazy. But here's the big picture. We've had a few weeks like this in the last 30 years. You know what we have never had happen? How about three months in a row with none and then four in one week? And that makes no sense at all. Except for one thing, it's baseball. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any 
of the tremendous baseball stories we write in The Athletic every day, including my opus on the robot umpires. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $1 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast every show. We pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how could you join us? Well, you can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or you can check out my Facebook fan page where we're continuing to get some great questions or you can do what most people do and X at us on the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, you know, I tweet out the call for trivia every week for the most part. Then all you have to do is reply to that. But if you want to just go rogue, you can find Glanville at D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's spell out Doug Glanville. Or you can find me at Jason with a Y-S-T, J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And don't forget to hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So thanks to Ken Rosenthal and Joe Madden for visiting us. Thanks to CJ Hoban for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville. Starkville.